Okay. <clears throat> Welcome to L&D Plus, where learning is a team sport. I'm Joey, and in each episode, my co-host Tom and I will bring you real stories of collaborative learning from the world's leading companies. Today, we have two very special guests, formerly of Loop. Now, with 360 Learning's acquisition of Loop, we're thrilled to count them as colleagues. David James, our new CLO, and Josh Squires, our new Partnerships Director for the UK and Nordics. Loop is the fastest growing learning management system in the UK and has built an incredible reputation for its stellar UX. It counts leading companies such as Klarna, Monzo, ASOS and the Financial Times as its customers. David is also host of the much celebrated L&D podcast and so we have podcast worlds colliding here today. (laughs) As new arrivals at 360 Learning, David and Josh are helping to shape what the world of 360 Learning plus Loop looks like, including a focus on one key question, how can L&D teams best support learners during moments of transition and adaptation? Before we hear more on this, David and Josh, how about you introduce yourselves? So I'm David James, uh, recently joined uh, 360 Learning as the CLO, uh, a position that I held at Loop prior to that. Uh, But what's more interesting to to most people is that I spent eight years at Disney, where I ran learning talent and organizational development uh, for the European headquarters. Hey guys, and I'm Josh Squires, uh, joining uh, the, the 360 team to help uh, shore up and expand their, their channel network and channel partnerships and uh, make sure that we bring great new additions into the 360 family. Um, prior to this with Loop, I was uh, running the uh, international expansion. And uh, prior to that, I've spent about 17 years doing a various uh, faceted roles within learning technology, uh, with, with other vendors and um, as, a, as a university lecturer for a number of years. So I've, uh, I've done a little bit. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you were the COO at Docebo at some point, right? Yeah, I spent four years with Docebo as their COO. So that, that was uh, another adventure that, uh, you know, it looks like 360, uh, we're, we're, we're on that same cadence. Yeah, I think it would be understatement to say that we have a lot of L&D experience with us today in this episode. <laughs> During a recent Sky TV interview about the acquisition, uh, Loop CEO Ben Mazel talked about the shift to collaborative learning being inevitable, especially given the way learning has changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so Josh and David, do you agree with that statement? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've agreed with that statement um, for most of my career. Um, I, I think learning in a, in a silo isn't learning, it's just talking at somebody. It's it's one of my, my foundational frustrations with how learning, whether it's, it's an academic learning or, or professional learning is done, um, you know, very much the, the, the model of I talk and you listen, rather than kind of collectively building a, a framework around solving real problems at points of needs and leveraging the expertise uh, of your of your most valuable players, which is your people. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, it's going to be a, a no surprise. Uh, having run learning and development, um, worked in with four LMSs over uh, over different companies, uh, I see how new platforms feel full of content don't work. I mean, they don't work in terms of uh, sustaining engagement from the people that you're seeking to influence. Uh, and therefore, they don't work in terms of uh, equipping people with what it is they need for their work and for their careers. Whereas uh, if you can uh, have people working together in order to solve collective problems for the collective benefit of the organization, then that there is, uh, is, is using technology smartly. I think that, uh, that, that a lot of the problem is how learning and development has seen itself as the sage on the stage, as the, the trainers and the teachers, therefore using technology to amplify lessons. But of course, 
today, you know, 2022, the world is very different. Expectations are very different. And I don't think people want to be taught, but they do want to learn. Mm. Uh, and whether you are transitioning or, uh, or expected to adapt, doing that with the collective benefit of your, your colleagues' uh, know-how and, uh, and expertise uh, is certainly going to gain that engagement in my experience. Uh, and of course, when you, when you gain engagement, then you are down the path of influencing the way the work is done. I think that could be our new tagline. People don't want to be taught, but they do want to learn. Unfortunately, that was already taken. So oh. Winston Churchill famously said that or was attributed to that. But we can steal it. I'm not sure anyone's heard of Winston Churchill. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very minor, minor historical figure. And um, obviously, you both have a lot of experience already in the ed tech industry. Um, how are you each bringing those unique perspectives in L&D and in growth into helping Loop and 360 Learning solve L&D challenges together? Fortunately, um, you know, Loop and, and 360, I think a lot of our core DNA is, is quite similar in how we see learning and how we, we approach the solutions to learning problems. You know, I think, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about, about Loop is, um, you know, we are a company kind of really run and founded by a lot of people with educational or, or, or learning backgrounds. And so a lot of what we try to do is just eliminate a lot of the noise and, and focus on solving problems, focus on what are the business problems that, that learning organizations face and how do we get right to that? You know, I mean, one of the, the, the jokes I've always used, and I'll, I'll use it here, so I, nowhere in the history of the LMS industry has anyone had a t-shirt that says, I hurt my LMS. Um, that, that's just not the, the, the function of the LMS. The LMS is to solve problems, to get compliance done, to get me from not knowing to doing as quickly as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that, that really much, you know, kind of encapsulates the core belief, I think, of, of the loop. And now pairing that with, um, you know, what, what you guys have been majorly successful at with, with 360 and, and kind of bringing in this, this kind of expert creator um, uh, model really allows us to kind of focus on how do we look at what the business problems are? How do we attack them from the business perspective? You know, David, you, you'd mentioned earlier, you know, L&D oftentimes lives in its silo. You know, it is part of the business. You know, how do we go out, get the experts, get them in, get them working together and building tools that make it easy? I mean, I think that's the biggest challenge is, you know, if I'm doing 9,200 clicks to do something, guess what? I'm not going to do it. One of the, the, the big reasons uh, why, why, why we're playing together here. Um, is is our heavily heavy belief in automation, um, really focusing on once we we use data to figure out what works and get feedback, both quantitative feedback and that qualitative feedback, that that verbal and, and people feedback. Um, you know, we can automate these journeys. You know, we don't have to do chases and follow ups and call people on the weekends to get their GDPR training or compliance trainings done. Um, you know, there, there is technology for that. You know, it is, uh, you know, well into the 21st century. So, yeah, no, I, I, we, we're clearly aligned with, uh, with, with a philosophy, which is uh, that online learning uh, or, or digital learning can help achieve a great deal more. Uh, but it can't do that with the with a plug and play model with uh, with suites of uh, of uh, of engaging uh, content. Uh, and I'll use the word engaging in uh, in speech marks there uh, because the world has changed from when learning and development were expected to deliver learning. And then they they scaled that with uh, with online learning uh, very soon after the world became about 
being able to access more, access more um, uh, information and access more know-how. Uh, and I think that that is that's where things have uh, have kind of there's been a, a fork in the road. Now, where I think that the companies are, are really well aligned as well is then making it easy for learning and development because there are two things at play here. There's number one, there's the mindset shift. There's expecting a great deal more from learning technology that it isn't about supplementing face-to-face -face because you cannot transform organizations 12 people at a time in a classroom. Digital learning cannot be supplementary. It has to lead, but you can't lead with something that people don't want to engage in. And we've not seen that as feedback in learning and development. We've seen that as a problem that needs to be solved by fixing our learners is there another profession in which something sinks like a stone and yet we say that it's the fault of the water <laughs> like it's like it's it's absolutely not but so it's so what we need to understand is that 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 google and youtube have transformed our lives our ability to both uh, uh you uh, find and utilize information as well as do stuff and i think that once we we reset our expectations that leading with digital uh, solutions we can affect change we can support people as they transition and we can support them through uh, through periods of adaptation uh, then we can uh, apply our resources to those to to, uh, uh, to make those big wins uh, with uh, with digital technology and supplement it where it's required with other stuff uh, but far too many learning and development departments have too lower an expectation of what they're their digital learning can do, uh, and an over um, uh, emphasis on um, the, the the live uh, real time stuff, uh, and I think that uh, they're they're missing a, they're missing a trick enormously. But it's not about saying to learning and development that, uh, that you can't do something. It's up for tech companies to step up and say, hey, we've just made this a great deal easier, yeah. uh, and you can now do it. Uh, and I think that's where uh, Loop and 360 are aligned. Uh, so David, um, we've heard you talk a lot about the idea um, that you just mentioned that the most impactful learning takes place during these moments of transition and adaptation uh, and where there's real urgency rather than learning just being an annual sort of check the box exercise. I wonder, could you talk a little bit more about that and specifically why our L&D teams sort of stuck in that old mode of thinking and what can they do to uh, embrace this new philosophy? Sure, so I, I became aware of, uh, of this. I read an article um, that referenced Nick Shackleton Jones, I think as, as far back as uh, as 2010, uh, and he was talking about transitions, and it and of course it, uh, it it resonated hugely because if we think about times during our career when we've recognised ourselves when we need the most development, when we need the most guidance and support, it's when we're transitioning into an organisation, into a team, or into a new level. So it's as it's it's during those periods of transition that we ourselves need the most help. But the problem is, is that learning and development traditionally, say with induction, uh, will apply far too much information in the earlier stages, too much that people can't possibly retain that information. And then we leave them alone to figure out the, uh, the hard stuff. And then when it becomes uh, comes to um, transitioning to management, a lot of the time new managers aren't picked up and provided with formal uh, manager development for weeks or months afterwards. So they're left alone, if not neglected for that period to work out the hard stuff before then they attend a, a one day two day session in which it's meant to fix um, what it is that they're expected to know and again largely without the context of where they actually operate and in learning and development we see that our limited resources have kind of bound us to uh, to work with cohorts from across an organization where uh, where we we probably know if not uh, we're not 
willing to admit that being a sales manager is fundamentally different to being an IT manager and we can't apply the same principles. Yeah. There might be some overriding philosophies, but it is not the same job. But because we are bound by resource, we convince ourselves that simply by bringing people together, there'll be an unintended consequence that overrides or negates uh, the, uh, the, uh, the rationale that the, uh, the job itself is different. So if we reframe and we see uh, that our role is to, to ease people through those transitions mm. uh, and help them to achieve what have been predetermined are their KPIs, we see our roles very, very differently. Uh, and it's much more laser focused as well. Whereas if we're providing larger educational experiences, these can be larger, more expensive, more time consuming. But it's not just transitions that we need to think about where there's one person making a move. Periods of adaptation uh, are also critical. I think that we've really seen learning and development step up in the last two years to support individuals and managers and organisations to work remotely. And so that adaptation was experienced by whole swathes of, uh, of, uh, of employees. Mm. And that's the same whether there is a system change within an organisation or a fundamental change of practice. So that's, that, those are our biggest opportunities. And we wonder sometimes why, L &D, why employees don't engage in L&D. And when there isn't a concern, again, um, language of Nick Shackleton-Jones, then people will not engage. Mm. And but, but learning and development's responses will, will make more engaging content. And it's not, that's not the question. The question is, what is it that people are trying to do that they're not able to do? And when do they need that help? But where there is an absence of that, people seek their own answers and then you create inefficiencies then you then you um, uh, rather than facilitate good practice you're pretty much encouraging people to figure it out for themselves but there are gaps so so I always say that these are these are kind of hooks mm. the easiest way to do learning and development is find the hooks and hang your solutions on those hooks the hardest way to do learning and development is try to create the hooks mm. doesn't work it's a fundamentally different way to look at the problem yeah. it's not about adding more quizzes and make mm. things jump up and down and flashy it's about giving people training when they need it at the times where they're actually looking for help and not completely for sure the other way around um so josh this concept of learning during moments of transition and adaptation for you what does that mean from a growth perspective and then getting a little more specific on that how can we sort of support clients and customers to be better equipped to manage these kinds of moments well i mean i think if uh, the last few years have taught us anything the uh, moments of transitions and uh, the requirement for adaptation um, has been a little bit paramount um, and the good and the bad of it is um, you know l d is kind of forced into the limelight a little bit more and and there's more organizations than i've ever seen in my 20 plus years doing this um, adopting uh, learning technology to help facilitate it. You know, the, the, the instructor-led, happy sheet-driven, um, I talk, you listen model um, isn't sustainable, especially in a remote workforce. Um, you know, there's only so much Zoom that one can handle and do and, and still be able to be productive and capture and, and, and do your, 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 your normal job. So, you know, I, I think the, the role of ed tech, the role of vendors such as ourselves is to, to bring on new tools, technologies, work streams mm. um, that can help really optimize this. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, a large challenge that, that, you know, I know David's focused on, I focus on most of my career is, is moving the, the, the learning um, leadership and mo moving the learning teams away from the, the universal magic pill, where if I buy this LMS, 
it's going to magically solve all my problems, right? It's got this button and this button and this button and those buttons are enough. Well, unfortunately, it's not about buttons. It's about what are the business problems that we're looking to doing? What does the, the, the organization need? What are the, the, the pain points? You know, there, there's not enough, um, you know, leaderboards and, and, and funny points that's going to motivate your, your learners to go out and, and, and actually engage with content if it doesn't help them solve problems that they're facing right now in, in work. And, and, and from a point of transition, I mean, the world is in a point of transition. And, you know, if, we, if we're talking about Corona variant version, whichever one now, um, you know, it's, it's not going to slow down. Maybe it will. I hope it does. But there's all of this conversation around skills and, and reskilling and upskilling and cross-skilling. Well, guys, that's the job now. That is your full-time job. I mean, you know, gone are the days of I'm going to start work here and I'm going to retire 30 years later with a gold watch and a, and a, and a beautiful pension plan. Um, hopefully the gold watch and the pension plan still happen. But the, the way in which we work, the modern workforce has to adapt. And, and being able to, um, you know, share knowledge and being able to flag knowledge gaps and being able to really um, utilize the, the the diverse and and, and dispersed workforce that, that the modern organization is going to have um, becomes an absolute critical uh, element to to your organizational success. Um, you know, we're we're not having these water cooler conversations. We need to figure out ways to document this knowledge. We have a huge swath of people who are retiring yeah. in droves. That is institutional knowledge drain. That knowledge is gone unless we capture it. We have to be lean. We have to run agile and lean learning organizations. And we have to build that framework and mindset, I believe, um, as part of your core DNA. Otherwise, you know, you're going to get left in the dust. You know, one question that I'd really love to, to, to hear both of your thoughts on is, um, you know, what does this new mindset necessarily mean for the work of L&D teams? Like how, how does that... Um, how does their core responsibility shift and what and how does it change uh well first of all it starts with uh with the real problem we we um uh subscribe to data and evidence-based practice uh, all that means is that uh, that if you have a hypothesis or you have an assumption uh but uh, but you check to see whether there's data in the organization that tells you that there is actually a problem mm -hmm. because if that does exist then there will be a consequence somewhere uh, and then if that is a big enough consequence then you will seek your evidence which is uh insight from the people who are responsible for that work to understand what they're experiencing um so once you understand the problem uh, that, um, that that needs to be addressed because it is a problem and how it's being experienced, then you'll run experiments with those people to see whether you can move the needle in the right direction. Um, that That is the biggest shift for learning and development who are used to uh, taking a learning need, maybe, maybe um, question it a little, but mainly uh, the question is more around what would you like inside your solution, how long would you like your solution to be, and when would you like it delivered, rather than any questions around its impact. And then learning and development, if they don't do the analysis, will look back afterwards and ask whether it was worth uh, doing in the first place, and they'll, they'll, they'll find some way to justify it. But if you start with a problem, data and evidence-based practice, you have your baseline measure of success. Success. Those are the fundamental basics. And what we've seen when customers do make this pivot is they spend more time on business critical um, problems. Mm. They gain a different level of profile within their organizations. 
they get uh, they've got uh, incredible currency which means that they can grow their teams even during uh, a pandemic a pandemic when uh, a lot of teams are, are being shrunk mm. um, and they can also um, achieve uh, achieve real results uh, within their organization it's it's a fundamental shift from delivering learning uh, and of course it sounds ridiculous when you say that of course it is and it may even sound disparaging mm-hmm. but when I say that uh, most organizations deliver learning and provide online content I mean, how can it? It it just can't suffice anymore. Uh, But I think the only reason it does is that a lot in learning and development don't see that there is an alternative. And that's why they seek Mm -hmm. more engaging content uh, or more engaging uh, silver bullets uh, programs Mm -hmm. rather than seeking truly to understand the problems that need to be solved. But it's it's a fundamentally different proposition uh, and one that is uh, increasing the profile uh, and the success rate of uh, of learning and development teams everywhere. Yeah, and that that means partnering as a business partner with people within the team Mm -hmm and not working like LND team providing shipping content and mm. then like it's one way street where but now it's more like okay what are the problems what are the people that can help me identify the problem tell me the business need and then help create the content together because the LND team's not going to know how to help all across different departments do their jobs better mm-hmm. and that also addresses the generic training content issue which is a problem as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, it's it's basically a lot of L and D teams are are constructed almost as an offshore or or service provider organization that's segundated to the uh, to the main organization. Yeah. I've got a training problem. Throw it over to L and D. They come back with a nice, pretty bow and a package and say, "Yep, there's a solution." We think, um, you know, we went to a shiny generic content store, bought, bought a bunch of generic content, and dropped it in with you. That should solve it. Talk to me in six months when I have another slot open. If it doesn't, I think the the, the, the big challenge in, in you know what I've done all my professional careers really you get into the consultancy of the business performance. Where are the gaps? What are the pain that we're trying to solve? How do we know that it's a pain? Can we use data to actually back that up and validate that? Is there senior leadership oversight in that pain? And can we get executive buy-in to use? Um, you know, the collective, you know, power of your organization to solve it. And the L&D teams, um, do need to transition a little bit. Um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, that, you know, the, 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 you know, content authoring tool skills and, you know, the LMS administrator skills are, are not valuable. But from a senior learning organization perspective, it is all about, you know, being a, a mini consultancy in a lot of ways. Um, and, 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 trying to unpack a lot of this. Uh, like we could dig into that concept a little bit more of almost L&D teams needing to be internal consultants that work across the whole business. And I often wonder to myself, um, is this a fair expectation for L&D teams yeah. to, to be, you know, not only instructional yeah. designers, course creators, but editors, consultants, directors, you know, <laughs> how, yeah. like what, what does this new world of these incredibly high and um, varied expectations look like for L&D teams? Yeah, and, look, I um, I think what's really important is to to recognise where we are in 2022. Um, uh, And I think that there are plenty of learning and development functions that still run legacy operations. And those legacy operations meet the expectations uh, of of, of many people. But the way I I liken it is that um, learning and development is a dance that everybody thinks they know. But it's not a tango and it's not a waltz. It's nothing skilled at all. 
but the stakeholder uh, will ask, hey, can we run a conga line? And learning and development will say, I love it. That is exactly what I do. So what they do is they invite a load of people into a room, they grab hold of each other, and then they start kicking their leg to the music. And everybody's having a great time. Uh, and you know, immediately afterwards, you'll get 10 out of 10. Uh, everybody's enthralled. Um, but everybody then will go back to work. And whilst they still feel a little bit giddy, nothing changed. Mm because it had nothing to do with the work. Okay, mm -hmm. you could change the conga line to time management or presentation skills or communication skills. Mm. Uh, and largely, it's, a, it's an experience that people find interesting. Uh, they might have a, a, a couple of aha moments and they might see how they relate to it during the uh, the session people are sent on programs that they don't know why they're there and then they're delivered far too much information than they could possibly retain the system's broken the system is fundamentally broken um and i think that that what we need to take a look at is we've got to ask ourselves what are, what are we in organizations to do now this isn't a surprise that the learning and development teams are brought into organizations to ensure that people are equipped to do their jobs today and they're ready to do uh, jobs tomorrow. Uh, there's also the virtuous cycle, which means that people feel invested in and they are prepared, they're prepared to improve their prospects. Now, conga lines and e-learning that people don't like won't help. So, so what we need to do is we need to reframe and think that instead of spending our time and our money on delivering programs with with what we may see as, uh, as dubious or unreliable results. What if we became more product managers and we could lead with digital solutions? And as product managers, we sought data, we developed relationships, we got close enough to where the work happens just with data and evidence-based practice, as I mentioned. And the solutions we create are laser focused on solving those problems. And then they're demonstrably addressed because we understand the data at, uh, at our ground zero before we even got started. Then you're in a position uh, like many learning and development uh, departments are. And I, you know, I, I mentioned Sebastian Tindall a lot of Vitality because I think that there, you know, he's, he's a prime example. He's been on my podcast. He went from achieving 14 or 16 uh, L&D projects a year uh, to pivot into a digital resources first approach uh, and very much a, a product management approach. He's doing 200 projects a year and he's not measuring them on what, uh, how many people attended. Um, he is measuring that on the efficacy of achieving the desired outcomes. And because he's achieving those outcomes, he's measuring how little time people are spending outside of the work whilst, uh, whilst doing so. So he's gone for efficiency. But the teams who don't know whether they're making an impact will count how many hours people spend away from training because it's the only validation that they've got. Uh, there is not a single L&D leader who's ever got permission for doing things differently. <laughs> what they've done is they've, they've, they've had a different conversation at the outset. Instead of, yes, how many people would you like to go on that training and do you have a preference for the vendor uh, to deliver it, to, okay, what would you like to see different um, as a result of my intervention. What's not working? Mm -hmm. When you're having an outcomes conversation rather than an inputs conversation, you shift the whole expectation of that stakeholder. Eight times out of 10, that works. And you begin your pivot from that conversation because you're, you're now partnering with somebody instead of taking that order. Mm -hmm. Now, those other two times out of 10, you're likely to get somebody say, oh no, Joey, you just didn't hear me, did you? <laughs> I just want training <laughs> and, and just take those two out of 10 as the anomaly and don't let that break your back or your spirit. Eight out of 10 will engage in that conversation and really want change. And if they really want change, they'll listen to you when you say, 
that class or that e-learning isn't going to help. Mm -hmm. But if we understand a little bit more about this, then I think the solution will become more apparent. And that's how it all happens. But the problem is L&D don't get started because they wait for the planets to align. They're waiting to change the learning culture. They're waiting to get permission from the COO. They're waiting uh, for the senior leadership buy-in. Yeah. They're waiting for line managers to support the development. They're waiting for the, the employee to take the learning back to the workplace. Yeah. All of these things mean that they've, they've got solutions that are so fragile that they require the planets to align for them to even work. Uh, and you've got people ducking out of, uh, of taking responsibility for the actual uh, performance and results as, uh, uh, as a consequence. Mm. But those uh, L&D leaders who are bucking the trend and having outcome conversations instead, those ones are leading. Mm. Uh, and uh, and those, those ones uh, are worth listening to, I think. Brilliant. And, and Josh, just, I mean, wondering about your perspective on that in terms of your time, um, you know, working within different sort of leading LMSs in the market, um, that particular focus on proving business impact, I mean, how have you seen that evolve over time? Well, I mean, I, I, I still wish that um, there was more of a focus on it. I mean, you know, prior, prior to, to joining the corporate space, you know, I was, uh, I was a university lecturer for, for a bunch of years. And, you know, a lot of what I would talk about is really understanding the problem that you're looking to solve before you go about finding a tool to fix it. You know, a lot of times, especially the, you know, that the, the buyer in the learning world, you know, they, they, they have a problem identified with no data to back it up. They go find a shiny tool with a full of shiny content with some great looking badges and leaderboards and, and, and lots of slick tech that does amazing things. And then they throw it at the problem that they actually didn't unpack deeply enough to understand that that in fact was the problem they were looking to do. And, and unfortunately it's endemic. And, you know, what, what, what I've, what I've noticed in, in, you know, kind of my, my career succession and progression is, you know, the, the, the learning community, uh, outside of, outside of a few, um, you know, really, really big superstars that are out there, um, who get it, you know, we, we, we typically try to stay in our safe zone. Um, you know, and I, I don't want to be too um, controversial here, but, um, you know, a lot of times it's just easier to say, yeah, no problem. Here's your training mm -hmm. um, rather than going yeah. deep in, in understanding. I mean, if you if you've studied instructional systems design, it is all about getting to that data. And it's all about building systems to reinforce those data loops that, that basically allow you to feed what content and training is done. I mean, very, very rarely are they about, you know, understanding how to build a, a, a you know, an articulate course or, you know, making, uh, you know, the, the, the next VR virtual classroom that looks exactly like the regular classroom in an online platform, you know, that, that doesn't do anything. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, we've had these tools since the 1950s. I mean, this isn't new. You know, the, the instructional systems machine of the world has been in place in, in, in every other organization, every other department and team has somehow transitioned. And especially lately, we've transitioned into this data-first approach. Um, you know, so, so I think for, for, you know, 2022, this is the mission that learning has to adopt, I mean, has to adjust to. Um, and, and organizations are slowly starting to get it, and the tools are making it easier for them to do it. And so when they have these aha moments, they can start then having conversations with, with different tool providers as well as the organization about how to facilitate a lot of these changes. And, and you know, it's a pretty big challenge, um, you know, that the, 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 you know, the fastest growing organizations in the world, the Googles, the Facebooks, you know, these guys are daily actively, proactively trying to solve it. You know, with with 
big bucks. I mean, this isn't something that they're they're taking lightly. You know, the the, the organizations that are are doing less well, um, you know, they're they're not making these investments. They're not investing in in that human capacity, that that forensic data. Uh, first data driven approach with that qualitative that that hey what can I do to help you and allow that human bridge to happen um, you know and I, I see that as a as, as you know a, a big challenge that some people are solving very well and other people you know need some help thanks so much to Josh and David for joining us if you're looking for more great stories for collaborative learning in action be sure to subscribe to LND plus wherever you get your podcasts and check out our show notes for more LND resources from 360 Learning. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.